Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Feast of the Tabernacles as we pick up in Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 14. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. During the time of Christ, they further celebrated this particular feast by a daily procession of the priest from the Temple Mount down to the Pool of Siloam, where the priest would fill these great water pots with water from the pool and then would come again singing up the steps back to the Temple Mount. And as the people were all gathered worshiping there, the priest would pour these water jugs out onto the pavement and let the water just splash on the pavement. And that was a reminder to them of how that God provided water out of the rock in the wilderness for their fathers. And they would sing and worship God as the water was poured out on the pavement during the days of the Feast of the Tabernacles. They did that for seven days. The feast lasted for eight days. On the eighth day, There was no procession to the pool of Siloam. There was no pouring out of water. This was to commemorate the fact God brought us into the land, a land that is well watered, a land that we do not need a miraculous supply out of the rock, that we are now dwelling in the land that God had promised. And so the eighth day, no pouring of water, no processions, just as an acknowledgement that God had kept his covenant with Abraham, kept his word with their fathers, brought them into the land. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem on the last day, the great day of the feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. And he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. This was the day that they didn't make the procession to the pool of Siloam. And uh, Jesus declaring himself as the rock, from which the water of life flows. To the present day, many of the Orthodox Jews still build little booths beside their houses, and they'll move out and live in these booths for the seven-day period of the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, When we were in Jerusalem and in Haifa and all, during the Feast of the Tabernacles several years ago. Beside several of the houses, we saw these little booths that the people have made, and they moved out of their houses and lived in these inconvenient little booths, and they do it to the present day. Uh, There are probably Orthodox Jews here in Orange County that uh, do live in these little booths uh, for uh, the period of the uh, feast. Now, It is interesting, on the feast of the Jews, the three major feasts was Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of the Tabernacle. On these three feasts, all of the male Jews had to come to Jerusalem to present themselves to God. They all just came to stand here before God. Here we are, God, your people. And there was great celebration, great feasting and all during this period of time. Two of the feasts have been fulfilled for they were prophetic. They were looking forward 
They are all of them prophetic, looking forward to future events. The Feast of Passover, commemorating the lamb that was slain in order that the firstborn might be spared the death, was only a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God that was to be slain in order that we might have life, that we should not perish but have everlasting life. And thus, it was significant that Jesus was crucified during the feast of the Passover in order that he might fulfill that which that feast foreshadowed, the Lamb of God who was to take away the sins of the world. The Feast of Pentecost was a celebration of the first fruits. For 50 days after the Feast of Passover, they would go out and they would cut the corners of their fields and bind the sheaves and bring them in and offer them to God in a wave offering. And this was saying to God, Here, Lord, are the first fruits of the harvest that you have given to us this year. Because the spring wheat and grains and so forth uh, all ripen up about June over there. And so they offer to God the first fruits of the harvest there in June at the Feast of the Pentecost. And it was significant that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, as the disciples were gathered together in Jerusalem, suddenly there was the sound from heaven like as unto a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were seated, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the ability to do so. And it happened right on the day of the Feast of Pentecost, which again is significant because there, when 3,000 people were added to the church, was the first fruits of the glorious harvest that God was going to gather together in the church, the bride for Jesus Christ. And the first fruits of that were on the day of Pentecost, the day in which they were offering to God the first fruits of the great harvest. And so that feast was always foreshadowing the first fruit of, of the bride of Christ, the great harvest that God was going to gather. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, it commemorates the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, but it also commemorates the covenant of God completed, coming into the promised land and now dwelling in this glorious land of promise. The earth has been going through a long wilderness period. But God is going to keep his promise. Peter said to us, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he is faithful to usward. But there will be those in the last days, scoffers, who will say, well, where is the promise of his coming? Since our fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Peter said, not so. There are things that you're not taking into consideration. The flood, and you're also not taking into consideration that God, well, the flood that God has in catastrophes entered into the history of man to alter the situations. Plus, you don't take into consideration the time dimension that one day is as a thousand years to the Lord, a thousand years is as one day. 
But then he said, God is not slack concerning his promises. And he's referring directly to the promise of the coming again of Jesus Christ. But he is faithful. And then he tells us the reason for the delay. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, the earth has been going through a long wilderness experience, but we're going to be coming soon into the glorious promised land, the promised kingdom, the promised age. It's going to happen. And I am convinced that when Jesus returns to establish the kingdom age, he'll do it during the Feast of the Tabernacles and thus fulfill the third of the major Jewish feast. And so I anticipate the return of the Lord in what would be in our calendar, October. Uh, not, uh, no, don't say Chuck said he's coming this October. I didn't say this October. But when he comes to establish his kingdom and sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, it will be in the month of October. Now, I, I know that it's at least seven years off. At least. How many years off, I don't know, but at least seven years off. Because there's one more seven-year period that has to be fulfilled upon the nation Israel. So, but when it does happen, I'm certain that it'll happen in October, that the third of the, Mary, uh, the, third of the major Jewish feasts might thus be fulfilled. And so... Two of them have now been fulfilled. The third one waits. But how significant, going through the long wilderness and now entering into the promise, the promised land, the glorious promises of God. And so they discovered the Feast of the Tabernacle written there in the law. They had not known about it. They made their little booths, and they moved out. And they kept the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, the solemn assembly, according to the manner. So as I said, the Feast of the Tabernacles actually lasted for eight days, the seven days of the feast, and then they had this solemn assembly. It was on the day of the solemn assembly that Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now in chapter 9, in the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. So again, it's quite a, a picturesque sight. The people have all gathered together. They've been fasting. They're wearing sackcloth, rough garments, no doubt very irritating. And they've got dirt on them, the custom of just a, a sign of mourning again. You just, you know, rub dirt on your face and and you look miserable. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from the strangers, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So again, can you picture them there? For a fourth part of the day, the reading of the Scriptures, and now for a fourth part of the day, just worshiping God, praising God and worshiping God. <laughs> it's interesting how that we get fidgety sitting in comfortable pews after a half hour, an hour or so. You know, we, we're so fidgety, and yet 
Here are these people standing for a fourth part of the day, hearing the word of God read, and then for another fourth part of the day, just standing there worshiping God. They, they'd never get by with it today. <laughs> then stood up upon the stairs, the Levites, and they cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God, and they said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou even thou art Lord alone, and thou hast made the heaven and the heaven of heavens, with all the hosts of the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that are therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. So, this glorious acknowledgement of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, the power of God. You've made the heavens of heavens. You are above everything. You've made the universe and you preserve the universe. Now it is interesting that Paul tells us in the book of Colossians concerning Jesus Christ that all things were made by him and by him all things are held together. This whole universe is held together by the power of Jesus Christ. According to Coulomb's law of electricity, positive forces repel each other, opposite forces attract. Try and put two positive poles of a magnet together, and you'll see how the positive poles repel. But the whole concept of a magnet and the attraction is that of the opposite poles attracting, the positive poles repelling. There is actually a tremendous repelling force in positive poles or positive charges, the protons. If you had one tablespoonful of protons on the North Pole, solid, another solid tablespoonful on the South Pole, at that distance of some 8,000 miles, the repelling force would be so great that it would take 3,000 tons to hold those protons on the poles. Even at that distance, the repelling force of positive protons, the positive particles. So we know that an atom has in its nucleus, positive charges held together. But how are they held together? The scientists talk about the nuclear glue. <laughs> now, we have discovered that we can upset the nuclei of an atom by bombarding it with slow-moving neutrons. And when we can upset the nuclei of an atom, we can then cause these positive poles to respond according to their nature. And we have an atomic explosion. 
That's what it's all about. It's upsetting the nuclei of an atom by the slow moving, uh, bombardment of the slow moving neutrons that get in and upset these positive forces and they respond according to their own nature of repelling and when they do, you see the tremendous force that is unleashed when you start a fission reaction of, of these positive poles responding to their own nature and you get this tremendous explosion of the atomic bomb. All it is is releasing the positive charges to respond according to their nature of repelling. Now, if that much power is unleashed by nature, when they are responding to their nature, then it also stands that it takes at least that much power to hold them together contrary to their nature. If the whole material world would respond according to the natural laws of the repelling of positive forces, immediately this whole thing would just dissolve and we'd just be one gigantic foof. And positive particles would be just going all over repelling each other and the whole universe would just blow to pieces. But there's a power that's holding it all together. Imagine the tremendous power it must take to hold this material universe, even the power that it would take to hold this pulpit together. The amount of fissionable material in the bomb at Hiroshima was about the size of a dime. And yet when those positive particles were allowed to respond according to their nature, look at the tremendous damage that was accomplished. But what force is holding them together? Here they talk about it. Oh, God, you've created the heavens and heavens. You're so great. Your power is above all things, you know. And you actually are preserving the whole thing. Paul tells us he's holding it together. By him all things consist or are held together. How glorious. The power of God. Now, Francis Schaeffer said that the time has come when we as Christians just shouldn't say God. Well, God did this for me or God did that for me because there are many concepts of God today in the minds of people. And when you say God, a person thinks of the God in their own concept, that which they have in a thought of God, and it may be far different from the thought that you have of God. Some fellow may sit and meditate upon his navel and, and say, oh, that's God, you know. Or, or you sit and you hold a rose and, and you smell of it and you say, oh, that's God. So when you say God, a person may think of this rose, just, oh, you know. And so he said that we must start defining and saying, the God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, they are defining the God because there were many gods that were worshipped around them. Baal was worshipped and uh, Molech was worshipped and, and Mammon. And, and so many various gods were worshipped by the people around them. That as they begin their worship of God, they make really a definition and a distinction of the God that they are worshipping. 
Bless Jehovah your God forever and ever. Blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. For even thou, O Yahweh or Jehovah alone, hast made the heaven and the heaven of heavens, the whole universe, with all of the host and the earth and all of the things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. Now, they've been reading the law of Moses, and they were been reading Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Been reading the first few chapters of Genesis. And so they acknowledge that God was the one who has created, even as is declared in Genesis, this whole universe and all that is in it. Now, it is interesting, in the New Testament, the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, when the apostles were responding to the prohibition that was laid upon them by the religious leaders not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Peter and John uh, gathered with the disciples and they told them the experience they had before the Sanhedrin. And they prayed. And when they started to pray, they said, O Lord, thou art God. Thou hast created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. Probably remembering the prayer offered here in Nehemiah. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Nehemiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Nehemiah 8-9 through when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless you and keep you steadfast in the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may you experience each day more of his love, more of his spirit working in your life. As you yield yourself to God, may you know that power through the Holy Spirit. And may God thus enable you to do his work and may your life be blessed as you serve the Lord in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. 
That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.